2: Hey, Brennan, I see you're still using Megascans, man. How's all that going? It's great, dude. So Quixel
0: is releasing two major programs that is using their photogrammetry textures. The Quixel Mixer allows you to take all these textures and mix it together. And the Megascan Bridge allows you to take these textures that you've made and import it into your favorite game engine like Unreal or Unity. Mm. So... They release a newly fresh video to kind of give you a little glimpse of where their studio is at, the people that are working on this. It's really cool. Check it out in our link description. Definitely recommend you guys taking a peek. And as always, they hooked us up, Larry. So if you are interested to learn more about Quicksell and test it out, go to our checkout. Enter the code GDU, which gives you the first three months thirty percent off. Go ahead and have
2: fun oh, nice dude that sounds actually pretty cool man
0: yeah this is a great way to help support the
2: podcast
0: as well as giving you like a little boost to your workflow
2: yeah free stuff is great <laughs> and speaking of stuff that's great you know we're doing a lot on patreon i uh, just wanted to say shout out to anybody who's a supporter on patreon and thank you because we've been making exclusive content just for you guys Uh, First off, I can say Life Unchained has been going really well. Every Wednesday, Brandon or I will just take the camera and show a little snippet about what's going on in the life of game developers. I mean, Brandon, you've been killing it on there.
0: Yeah, it's a a really great way for us to kind of show behind the scenes stuff, funny uh, things that happen between our episodes, a little background of what we're doing with our lives. So this is a really exclusive thing that we're doing to, for our Patreon supporters. In addition to that, we do game GameStream Unchained, which is every Monday, where we play games uh, for our Patreon supporters. And we record it. We just have fun. Making games is Definitely the highlight of what our podcast is about, but playing games is equally as important. So if you are interested in that, go ahead and support us on our Patreon, which is patreon.com forward slash Dev unchained. If you want to talk about it. All right, Larry, I know there's a lot of listeners out there who want to talk about our podcast, talk to each other and other listeners. Our Discord is the best place for that. And to find where our Discord link is, go to our website, www.gamedevunchain.com, to get the Discord
2: link. Come hang out with us Tuesday mornings for the after show episode where we just kind (laughs) of jump in there and, you know, see what chat is all about. But Discord is where it's at. We've got a lot of people engaging in great talk. And they told me something, Brandon. They said, you know, what, Larry, give these people something for free now. And you know what that is? what's up this week's free episode of the game dev unchained podcast coming up next ladies and gentlemen boys and girls welcome to this week's episode of the game dev unchained podcast the number one podcast for the lifestyle of video game development and developers yeah that's right (laughs) i'm larry charles one half of the podcast team and Brandon actually was a little sick this week, so he sent me the secret character from 1999 Midway's NFL Blitz. Cheat code is T A N. Mr. Brandon Fam.
0: Hey, what's up, everybody? This is Brandon Fam in NFL shape. Welcome to this <laughs> week's episode. And please also welcome our special guest, Adam Saltzman.
1: Hey, hey. Hello. Welcome.
0: What's Good up, morning. Adam? Thanks for joining us, man.
1: Yeah, my pleasure. My pleasure. So this <laughs> is
0: yeah, this is the part of the podcast where we kind of uh talk about your background, a little bit about your resume, tell our audience why you're so cool, if you don't mind.
1: Oh yeah, I'm I'm super cool. Uh <laughs> that's what that's what everybody always said about me when they were pushing me into the lockers in high school. Oh. Um, that's the coolest uh, part i am uh thirty six and a dad and also uh co run uh independent game developer that sometimes publishes games also uh and i run it with my um partner in crime and wife and uh best buddy uh becca uh who uh a lot of hey, folks in industry know about um and uh Yeah, we, uh, we published a game called night in the woods last year that went over pretty well and we've been working on some other stuff. Um, my background is, um, pretty much all over the place. Uh, I went to school, uh, at least partly to be, um, sort of a computer programmer. Uh, I did that for a few years and then I worked actually as a freelance pixel artist for a few years. Um, and then um sort of came around um started doing programming again but mostly in flash and worked as a a sort of freelance what we call a a turnkey uh game outsourcing studio. So we did a lot like web games and advertising games and stuff like that for a while uh and then started getting into making mobile games uh we made um game called Cannonball that was kind of one of the first sort of popular endless runners on mobile. Sorry, everybody. Um, <laughs> my bad. Uh, and uh, worked on some other stuff here and there. Uh, and then I guess a few years ago we started to kind of quote unquote pivot out of doing mobile focused stuff and try to uh, have what we call a, a platform agnostic distribution strategy, um, which basically just means like making stuff that can run in more than one place. And that's what kind of led us down our current road of um, making more um, PC and console focused uh, Mm -hmm. projects. And um, so, yeah, I guess uh, I started my first freelance project in the game industry was like 2005. So about Mm -hmm. 12 or 13 years into making stuff uh, and making mistakes and um, learning things the hard way and also having my butt saved by great industry mentors. Uh, and yeah, that pretty much probably brings us about up to I guess uh, I've, I've got two kids who are five and seven. Uh, and, and what are their roles in your game studio? <laughs> <laughs> uh, they are like the, the worst interns you can possibly imagine. <laughs> uh they're uh yeah Uh, they're not health they're not super helpful yet above and beyond (laughs) just like it is nice like if you show a five-year-old your screenshot of your game and they can tell what is going on i think that actually is like pretty good feedback Mm -hmm, Uh,
2: i do value that the five-year-old test actually that's actually kind of cool
1: yeah I,
2: uh, I did want to say to start off though with a serious question. I heard you say like when you were talking about going platform agnostic, you said PC console focused. Hmm. Um, were there some of the other co- the other platforms that didn't make the cut? Like uh, for example, I didn't hear you say mobile. So maybe you want oh, to. Oh, uh,
1: I think it's more. Uh... I think a lot. I don't think we're the only ones who have had this problem, but I think it's really hard to, for a lot of different reasons, make um, content that is mobile focused first, and then try to also distribute it on desktop or on console. Um, and there's a lot of different reasons for that. I know for us, for our last big mobile project, we had designed. Um, I, I love mobile as a platform. I love phones. I love tablets, uh, and. I love kind of exploring what you can do with that stuff. It actually like it, I mean, we, we worked in that space for five or six years and it was like, everything was new again. You got to like make up. It's like the way people talk about VR right now is how I actually felt about mobile. Like, wow, this is like a whole new audience of people. This is a whole new way of controlling games. And, uh, it's a a more mainstream audience who uh, is like the audience that I prefer to make games for Um, I like making games that are accessible and that kind of like you know uh, maybe people who didn't play a lot of games before can get like gateway games kind of like introduce people to all the weird cool sort of emotions and gambles that you get out of a more hardcore game but like you know somehow present that to, to normal quote unquote normal people right um, I love all of those things, but uh, I think you end up with a lot of tricky things like a, like uh, a, a good mobile game frequently is a kind of game that you can play for about five minutes at a time and have like a really complete encapsulated experience. And I think those kinds of sessions are kind of out of fashion in a lot of ways on uh, sort of desktops and consoles right now. Uh, I think um what we one thing we found is we were leaning into doing like very um, multi-touch based controls, mm-hmm. um, which is a completely it's more different than people think. I think I think there's a uh, you have a notion of like oh well a finger is like a mouse pointer so that's that and it it so isn't there's so many things that are different about it and I think building something that feels really really good on mobile it means that it's very. Touch Native, and I think that means that it often maps really poorly to other platforms in terms of design, especially if like our last big game it's multi touch right. in which case like nope you're done <laughs> there's no there's no doing anything with that really um, and uh in addition there's just kind of there's a lot of uh, i think sort of perception that maybe because of these things and because of some other things that like mobile games on. Um, You know, trying to play a game that was maybe originally designed for mobile is somehow like that's somehow like a less legitimate game. Mm -hmm. That's somehow a game that should be treated with a lot of like caution or, you know, oh, that's not a real game. game." It should be free. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) There's that. And there's also just like, you know, I I play real games. I don't play crappy mobile (laughs) games, you know, and uh which, like, is it can be frustrating, but there's like a little bit of a grain of truth to that sometimes. So, um, I think we, uh, we still have part of our strategy is like putting games out on mobile, but, uh, really, uh, I think pretty, pretty broad, and concrete way, like, our design sense has shifted more toward, like, well, let's at least aim for these, um, uh, these broader platforms first. Uh, And and part of that too is about trying to have like second chances in a lot of ways. Mm -hmm. Like a lot of our experience on mobile as a business or whatever was like, all right, game's done. Let's roll the dice. Hopefully Apple smiles upon our efforts. uh, And then we can, um, then we can make another game uh versus uh you know the approach we're doing now where it's like oh we can do early access type stuff or we can you know uh relaunch the game 6 months later as a deluxe edition on new platforms and uh you get it feels like um you know it's not necessarily cheaper or easier or safer really but for how we build things there's a, a certain amount of comfort in this like um, yeah this sense that maybe you get second chances or the game can have kind of a, a second uh, second shot at things
0: there's so much history that I would love to go with because there there has been a lot of um, developers that has always been that have been always curious about mobile but scared of it for, mm-hmm. for reasons that you laid out at the same time for the PC console market um it was very scary especially with steam yes Uh, yes. so it's very interesting to hear that you're you're kind of just going towards that route now since it's uh it has more opportunities, which is very interesting here, but
1: yeah, I I, I think, I I mean, it can go, it can kind of go both ways too. Like none of like pretty much all these things are scary and bad on some level. Right. Right. Like, like uh, it's, it's, for us, it's definitely not a case of like "phew, PC games. Now we're safe (laughs) and everything is easy. Uh, You know, it's, it's definitely not that, but it's more, um, you know, I, I, I think it's like, yeah, trying to do mobile first and then do these other platforms is pretty scary to us. Uh, and um, whereas we can go the other way with a little more confidence maybe. Um, and also just, um, uh, I think it's partly like the kind of games that um, we are comfortable making and have been getting involved with also have shifted a little bit. Um, I, you know I think part of that is, kind of wanting a break like as much as i love designing games for the mobile space and have like a bunch of little cute kind of prototypes in that space there's also just this like desire to like stretch out a little bit and see like well what if we did work on something that was a little beefier you know or work on something especially in like just the pure design space not even like a consumer like this game needs to be 10 hours long just like get into that design space of like what is it like to um Design a game that can hold somebody's interest, you know, for an hour or for 10 hours or for 100 hours or something like that. Like, what does it look like to try to build that? And I think those are are very risky kinds of experiences to target mobile with unless maybe you... um, already shipped clash of clans and have 7 trillion dollars and can do enough user acquisition to like build up a multiplayer audience or something like we don't have that kind of thing so i think um you know if you want to do more like long form game design stuff uh and you don't have a user acquisition budget then i think uh you uh you don't have to embrace pc console first but to us that feels a lot less scary Uh, It feels like we'd be like kind of going against the current on mobile uh, if we were doing that, which can be good and bad, but uh, yeah, I think for us, it's just kind of like, I don't know. I feel like there's a lot of decisions that we make that are about like uh, not like let's do the safe thing, but like looking at seven different things that are all pretty dangerous and trying to map out like, this one is 5% less dangerous than this one. Mm -hmm. And so we got, we'll, we'll try that next. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I think if you do that enough, those bets can start to pay off. Um, But yeah, definitely not a case of like, You know, uh, well, I read this Gama Sutra post that said mobile is bad, so now we don't (laughs) do mobile, or like, or vice versa. Like, I read this thing that said Steam is bad, so now I only make mobile games, and it's like there's just so many, there's just so many variables um, to try to keep track of. Uh, And I think I like, I've been pretty pleased with what we're doing because I feel like we don't have. I think the thing that ends up making us nervous is having all our eggs in one basket. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think going the mobile route, uh, for better or for worse, you know, uh, has that kind of side effect. Mm -hmm. Um, and some people are able to lean into that and like really use that. And it's like, there is a certain amount of overhead and stress that comes from having like 14 different baskets and you're trying yeah. to figure out which eggs go in, which like that is a, a kind of a nightmare of its own. Um, but at the same time, if like four of those baskets get blown away by something, then you still got like 10 baskets left and that's all right. right? Um, so yeah, different. Um, I'm sure like part of this is probably just like, where are different people comfortable putting all this risk? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, do you want the risk to be managing a bunch of different baskets or do you want the risk to be like well i've got one basket i'm just going to take real good care of it and hope that nothing oh. terrible happens uh, and i think it's probably just you know different people are wired uh different ways to keep track of that stuff but maybe sometimes that comes out as like this one is bad this one is good uh and i think it's, it's probably a little more complex than that
2: so you did mention uh user acquisition is when you were talking about like developing for mobile and one of the things mm-hmm. that is very expensive that you have to consider when you look at what you guys are doing now, as far as making, you know, multiple games, you say we have multiple games in multiple baskets, right? It's mm-hmm. still the process of how you're getting these games. No, like the, the, the investment that you're taking to like actually. get.
1: Yeah, definitely. Play. Uh, and part of the, part of our shift too, was, um, wanting to be able to, um, wanting to be able to survive and thrive on the size of audience that we already had. So I think the the audience size for a lot of our mobile games is somewhere between probably like 50,000 players up to like 250,000 players, something like that, Mm -hmm. which is a pretty good size audience, except on mobile, if your games are like two bucks and you just spent like three people, three years making this cool game, uh, it's, there are place there are places you can live where that does pay the bills. Um get kids through preschool and you know um, pay for braces or whatever else you have yeah. to do, right? Like yeah. um like if you're in Thailand, that would have been you'd have been. Yeah, now. yeah, right. Yeah. Uh, all set, no problem. You live Mr. in Yeah. Oh, <laughs> <you're in trouble. laughs> yeah. So, so like so part of that, part of this move to kind of like PC console focus is, yeah, um, uh, it's just kind of like a basic math problem of you can you can make a cool game and it can, it's a, it's okay for it to be a ten or twenty dollar game, and if it's a ten or twenty dollar game, uh, you can. Uh, collaborate with a couple of really smart people for a few years and ship something pretty special and pretty interesting. And that can be totally adequate that can pay back your development budget and give you a little bit of leftovers to make the next game. And again, it's not a guarantee. It's not like, Oh, this is, uh, if we just do this, then we're safe and good. Um, but to me like that basic problem of like, can we find, You know, 50,000 people, 100,000 people eventually who are into the same things that we're into with the position that we currently have in the industry. And I feel like, yeah, we could probably do something like that versus the mobile question, which is like, well, we have our free-to-play game that we've and we've concocted a, a relatively... Uh, ethical business model for it and all we have to do is get about 10 million people to download and play the game and we'll be able to like skim enough ad revenue and unlock revenue to um, pile up into something that can pay back the effort that went in Um, and i think what you see in a lot of those cases is You know, it's actually you can't really have three people working on the same game for two or three years. Uh, You can have about one person working on the game for about six months. Uh, And it does shape the kinds of games that you can make. And it also has um, there's some downstream maintenance stuff that uh, is kind of a hassle, too. If you uh, if you have like 10 mobile games out there uh, and Apple puts out a new iPhone, (laughs) it's like a whole month going back and recompiling everything and, yeah. um, cause you want to keep all those games kind of live and, yeah. uh, engaging with their audiences and, you know, generating that, um, generating that revenue for you so that you can kind of go on and make the next thing. Yeah. So, um, again, like it's not necessarily like, you know, the thing that we're doing is, you know, more safe or less safe exactly. Yeah. But, um, it just felt it felt like for us, like having been in the industry for, you know, five or 10 years and having some connections and having um, some kind of, you know, reputation for design something and, you know, being able to feeling like we could build up contacts at the platforms, um, sure. you know, at consoles or at, um, you know, desktop based Uh, Stores or marketplaces or whatever and be able to talk to them about like, hey, we have a cool new thing coming up. Maybe we can kind of, um, we could work together to promote it a little bit and Mm -hmm. that'll get us another, you know, few thousand players and like each of these little steps gets us closer and closer to having that, um kind of uh, a sustainable audience because of the larger size of game and that enables us to do these projects where we get to collaborate with multiple people which is like the thing that we're deriving a lot of just like joy from lately yeah. Yeah. is just finding cool people and not having to sit there and either um you know not having to sit there and like rush something out or have to sit there and make every decision ourselves like in a vacuum, um, being able to having dedicated other people on the team, you can pick their brain and, you know, what do you think about this? And like, what do you want to put in this game? Cause I'm out of ideas. (laughs) I've been doing this for like 10 or 12 years. Like I, I made games about all the stuff that I like, you know, what do you, what do you like? Let's put that in the game. Um, and that's really cool. And I think that's also really hard to, uh we have found that very hard to sustain or in a way to us it feels too risky to sustain on mobile right now. Uh as again, a mobile as, as your principal platform, as your primary place. But there's a bunch of studios that are making this work too. Mm-hmm. Um Us Two Games and uh the Snowman Guys and Um uh yeah. I don't know. There's, there's people who there's know how to do this. It, yeah. so <laughs> yeah, you. I did want to ask this last part though. Um, do you find
2: that your marketing strategy is rinse and repeat or do you find that your process maybe is a little more organic where each project is kind of getting like this one is about influencers versus this one we're trying to secure paid advertising on a website or, you know, does you, do you have a marketing process that you hit the same points every single time? Or I guess, is it not
1: that? Right. Right. Uh, I think it is, um, there are common threads that run through everything. Like there's a lot of, a lot of us deciding to maybe we'll like publish, we'll not just self publish our own games, we'll publish some other stuff for other people and kind of like reuse those resources a little bit. Part of that is definitely about, um, seeing places where our efforts can kind of stack up, and where we can kind of maybe use past successes to signal boost future projects a little bit. Um, Like, it's pretty cool to be able to say like, hey, uh, you've probably seen Night in the Woods and Tunic around. Maybe you should check out our weird strategy game that we're making also. Mm -hmm. Uh, And, you know, that sure doesn't hurt. Uh, And certainly post Night in the Woods launch and everybody realizing like, oh, this is pretty magical. um, That opened a lot of doors for us in terms of, you know, uh, expanding or building or making our relationships with different kind of platforms better. Um, uh, but also there is a, you know, for all the things that are the same, like let's put everything in our big packs booth and kind of bring people through because there are, there are definitely through lines on the kinds of games that we work on. You know, we try to have, you know, we we love a game with good art direction. We love a game that has a good sense of place. Mm-hmm. We love a game that has a really kind of um, uh, a particular or unique kind of soundscape that comes with these things. Uh, and there are through lines on everything that we've published uh, through there. And, you know, these things look cool side by side next to each other in a big booth. Uh, and, you know, everybody needs press releases to some degree and everybody needs um, some kind of press outreach and a little bit of press tour and some interviews. Um, but at the same time, you know, the, the strengths of each game, I think, change where you feel like you get like good multipliers in terms of like um, attention or interest. You know like a lot of a lot of how we think of this stuff is um you know where let's look at each game and where it's at, and let's think about what's good for that game, and then let's also look at platforms let's look at press outlets, let's look at um you know uh content creators, let's look at um you know digital marketplaces, and let's look at what their interests are right now uh, and see where we have good overlap. Um, so something like overland we feel like is very um, uh, it uh, it struggles to find good overlap with for example I think traditional, um, console-based um, marketing stuff because a lot of console-based marketing tends to be very much about uh, like having like a main character. There's like a there's like an avatar that the marketing kind of hangs around. So there's you know you have Nathan Drake, you have Link, you have Mario, you have Halo guy, um, <laughs> you know you have Army dude. Uh, you have Lara Croft, right? You have like a, you have an avatar and the way that you talk to your community and the way you talk about these games and the way you get people excited about these games tends to rotate around that. Yeah. And when you have like um, a more sort of procedural strategy game, and I think we're not the only ones to have this problem. I think, you know, FTL, Into the Breach, those kinds of games, um, even XCOM ran into, I think struggled with this some of like, how do you, um, you know, the things that are really special about your game maybe aren't the things that these particular platforms value. But mm-hmm. if you look at, you know, what do content creators value in terms of, you know, this is a cinematic single-player action experience that you play through one time versus this is a wild, unpredictable, um, mean, funny, surprising uh, strategy game with really unpredictable outcomes. That's something that content creators value a lot. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, it's got role playing potential. It's got whatever. I can name, you know, my XCOM soldiers after the people who are watching the stream or after my subscribers or whatever. Uh, like the kind of like involvement and co-play and all of that stuff is really really different on those titles um, versus like, you know, Night in the Woods. I think we really didn't have. Um, that has a, a an engaging main character that has a really unique look. And I think we got a lot of quote unquote synergy with you know stores that think of games that way and want to communicate about games that way. But we didn't have a real content creator strategy above and beyond like, well, maybe people will stream it and we should expect that people are going to stream it and not be too grumpy about that, even though it's a story game. And maybe we'll think about you know, I think there was some probably some early decisions about like, you know, Night in the Woods probably does need to have a little bit of replay and a little bit of branching, you know, in case, you know, because that will that'll change people's reactions to it when they watch the streams or whatever, maybe. Yeah. But just sort of assumed it would be streamed. And I think this, the quote unquote strategy pretty much stopped there because um, we weren't really sure. Like, what do you um, how do you sort of like collaborate with content creators around this kind of game is not super clear and tunic i think is kind of like a little bit of both uh it's got a really engaging main character uh fuel tunic is our sort of they've probably seen it around but it's just kind of like a little poly zelda fox adventure top-down action thing and um you know, right now there's there's not a, there's not going to be a way to engage with content creators basically until the game is done and coming out. Right. Um, so that's going to be like a post launch content creators uh, relationship, uh, as opposed to like a pre launch one, like we're doing with Overland. But we'll also be able to, I think, count on a lot of support from more traditional marketplaces that really want an avatar and a main character and stuff. Um, so that's like Tunic is definitely a game where we're like, this just is, um, uh, this is a promising and viable commercial project because all these, uh, the way that it overlaps with the interests of the people that help us sell our games is good it has a lot of overlap, right? Uh, Versus Overland, where that was kind of one of our risks early on in the project was like, okay, this is a strategy game. That probably means that at least initially before, you know, while we build awareness, this is going to be a very kind of PC-based game Uh, because that's generally where a lot of your... Historically, that's where your strategy audience is. Um, So, yeah, I feel like it's a lot of... uh, You know, for... uh, I guess there's a lot of shared work in so far as, you know, uh, the whole reason we took on external publishing projects at all is because there's so much shared effort that goes into um, running these things and getting the console versions done and, you know, working with all these external groups of people to help promote the game. But yeah, definitely the, Specific strengths of the game and what people get out of it and what people are interested in right now, those shift the needle a lot. Um, I think um, I'm sure we're not the only ones who are in this boat, but I think if you are a game developer, a publisher for the next like year or so, and you don't make uh, Fortnite, uh, <laughs> that like you know there are a lot of opportunities that are going to not really be available to you um, right. and. Uh, I think being, it's more like, I'm more concerned about like, you know, it's not even whether that's good or bad or uh, whether you should be upset or not. It's more just like, just be aware of it. That's the landscape right now. And, you know, uh, keep that in mind when you're talking to storefronts or whatever and uh, trying to look at what your games do and what do, what are storefronts into right now. Yeah. And, you know, can you find some kind of, shared interest there and find people there who want to champion the, the, maybe the weird thing that you made. Um, cause people did feel, I felt like we did get people to do that around night in the woods and that's a weird game. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. It has a main character in it, but like, I mean, you'd hang around town for a few days. That's like the whole game is <laughs> not a normal, uh, you don't, um, you don't save the world and you don't, um, you don't have XP and, yeah. you know, uh, you don't yeah, unlock new, uh, yeah. You never unlock like new fatalities or anything. So like, um, I, I think, uh, but it's okay because there are other things that people value. There's the, um, the visuals and the sense of place and the iconic soundtrack and all of these things. And, um, yeah, it's just a matter of like looking around and seeing what, um, uh, see what people are interested in and what people want to promote and what they, what they value and how does that overlap? And I think that, um yeah, that's at the end of the day, that's a very game to game concern for sure. Uh, I want to kind of talk about the
0: major uh pivots, right? So obviously you went for freelancing, you shipped cannibal and then you went from that to self-publishing to finally external publishing. So those are huge Huge transitions, <laughs> so like let's talk about the very first big change where uh your journey from freelancing to to finally making the one of the most popular or first endless runners uh how was that like what what happened <laughs>
1: uh yeah, I mean, it was a big mix of things in a lot of ways, like um, I don't know, I keep having this like same. I'm curious what's coming down the road for us. Cause like for, there's been a pattern where for like 10 or 12 years, it's like every three years we have to shake things up somehow. So like uh, graduated from high school and went to college and was like totally unprepared for college. Mm-hmm. Uh, but by the time we were done with college, I'm like done with college. This is boring. I want something else. And went and got my first job and like learned more at my first job, my first real like day job, which just getting that I learned more about the world than I learned in college total. And then finally like having that job in the first three to six months, learned way more about uh, how things work than uh, I did in, uh, in college or in getting that job. And then after about two and a half years there, it was like, we got to go find, we got to go find something new, got to figure this out Mm -hmm. Uh, and started doing the freelance thing. And that was, you know, two or three years of, Oh my God. I thought I was learned everything there was to know at my day job, but like, this is a whole new pile of mistakes to make and did that for two and a half, three years. And after that, um, you know, I had started to figure out just enough little bits and pieces to be able to start doing these internal projects in addition to, um, freelancing and actually the freelancing, we kind of kept on. We've, we've almost always done at least one substantial freelance project, pretty much every year since, you know, 2005 or something like that uh even last year uh you know the middle of night in the woods we still kind of brought on uh another project to kind of help connect the dots uh so that stuff that stuff hung around but i think it was um it was a mix of things i think it was a lot of like right place at the right time kind of things uh so flash was getting really big uh it was already pretty big, but then they changed flash so you could do some more low level retro style programming a little bit. Um, which, uh, that was a good fit for me because I had been doing a lot of pixel art for like mobile phone games. I didn't have a background in doing vector art or more high res art or anything like that. And I wasn't really interested in that, um, visual style or that aesthetic really. Uh, and as soon as, um, Flash had kind of opened up and it was like, yeah, you can do, we can, you can manipulate, manipulate pixels. We don't care anymore. Mm -hmm. Um, you don't have to, you don't have to be crammed into this more specific pipeline. Then it was like, Oh, 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 we can, I can do something with this. I can, I can make, you know, I think initially the goal was just like, I just want to, Uh, I just want to make something because I had uh, done the thing that a lot of people do, which is uh, when you have a computer programming background, you're like, all right, I'm going to make my own game engine. Mm -hmm. Um, So I don't like how anything else works. And then after I make my own game engine, then I'll start to make games Mm -hmm. Uh, and uh, you know, spent years doing that. Mm C++ and OpenGL and Python scripting and his whole like framework thing. And it was like, this is going to be so powerful. And, and, you know, never, never made a game Mm -hmm. out of it. Uh, So busy doing all that other stuff. And so I think finding, finding flash and using flash, um, kind of on the side my buddy, uh, from, uh, from Brooklyn, Ivan Safran taught me, um, just basic action script 2.0 kind of stuff, and, uh, I, we used that to do a few, um, a few freelance projects and started to kind of like wrap my head around it. And then it really, it was just the best luck right around that time ActionScript 3.0 came out. That's what I had the retro pixely kind of right. uh, accessibility. And it was like, Oh crap. Okay. I can do this. We can make. You know, uh, I've been making these, uh, I've been working on these little teeny tiny mobile phone games, like old Nokia candy bar or T-Mobile sidekick type stuff. These like little tiny, basically Game Boy games, you know, I've been working on these for a year or two. I can, I can make the art for this and I know how to write code in flash. So potentially, you know there's a thing here where maybe I could do, you know, game jams really big at the time. There's this mm-hmm. idea of you could, it was, it was okay to make a cute little game that didn't do very much. Mm-hmm. And I just sort of thought like, well, maybe, all right, maybe here's what we can do. Do so much freelance work that, you know, once, maybe once a month or once every few months, we can like take a week off and mm-hmm. try to make our own game. Yeah. And sometimes it worked. Sometimes it didn't. <laughs> uh, there's a lot of stuff that I made. I, I have a website up somewhere that just has like all my old, like f- not even all a small subsection of failed flash prototypes. There's about 30 of them on there. It's about mm-hmm. probably, a, I don't know, a fifth of what's on my actual hard drive. Right. Um, mm-hmm. oh, um, man. But, uh, but that was like, that was a really fun, um, really satisfying. uh environment to be in because you could just, uh, you could write flash code for free uh, using a free uh, program to compile it. And you could just make um, bad sprites and like, uh, MS paint or Photoshop or something. It didn't matter. You just make some little 2d art. And, um, there was some folks in the community making cool little audio tools that you could use to make your own music and make your own sound effects. And you would just kind of like cobble together these beepy, boopy game boy looking things. And you could, um, yeah, compile them for free, upload them to your website. And then anybody could play it. Mm -hmm. You just open your browser, play the game. Mm -hmm. Uh, and so if, you know, if you if you're at a place the place I was at was like really frustrated that I just couldn't make a game. I kept getting hung up with like well now i can I can make a Windows game with this DirectX something or other, or I'm trying to maintain a multi platform version of my game engine blah 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 and now suddenly it's just like now nah, just write some terrible, terrible code and press go and put it upload it somewhere, and now. Anybody on earth, if they can find it, can play your game and they can send you feedback and you can get like some, uh, you can get some response. You can get some like, uh, uh, validation, I guess that like you, not even that your game is good or bad. It was like, it wasn't even like, I can't wait till people appreciate how good of a game designer I am. Mm -hmm. I just wanted somebody to be like, I played your game at all. Mm -hmm. I pressed go and I tapped on buttons and like, that's all I wanted. And yeah. And just like, it was again, like so lucky to be in a place where it was like, oh, I've been doing crappy pixel art for my job for a while. And I've been doing flash games for my job for a while. And now you can do crappy pixel art flash games. What? Like, this is, this is amazing. Uh, and so actually about a year before Cannonball, I did a little game, a little web game, with a guy named um danny Baranowski, uh went on to do the music for cannibal a year later and also did the crypt of the necrodancer soundtrack and a whole bunch of other things he's kind of this um just marvelous big-hearted awesome musician guy oh he did super meat boy just a bunch of amazing mm-hmm. stuff but um we kind of got started together because um I'd been a fan of his work that I'd found on a website and he wanted to make stuff for games, but we, we made a little game called gravity hook. Basically mm-hmm. it was a little pixelated flash game and just put it up on the web for free. And it was kind of, I'd, um, played a little prototype by a guy named Arnie Nicholas Janssen Um, that was like a sort of supposed to be like a typing tutorial game. Um, but it had this neat little, um, uh, this neat little like gravity swingy, mechanic and i sent him an email and was like hey uh i love this do you you mind if i steal this he's like i don't care if you steal my trash from my tutorial typing game that i'm never gonna put out and i was like cool thank you so much and you know i'll credit him in the game and everything but um uh made this little pixel art climbing game really really small and um uh and Danny was like, I'm going to make music for it. And I was like, well, I don't think it really needs music. It's more of a mood piece. He's like too late. I already made music for it. <laughs> uh, so we put music in and just put it up on the web. And I was just like, here's a little seven day, you know, little jam. I uh, just, mm-hmm. can you, how high can you climb? And maybe, maybe it's got a little bit of a mood and it's, you know, got this little minimalist pixel art vibe. And, you know, we'll just see, um, I would just love for somebody to like play it at all just somebody Mm -hmm. to like write back and say like, I played this and like hundreds of thousands of people played it. We probably had like a million people play that game and I didn't make any money off it or anything. Mm -hmm. Um, but it was just like, Oh yeah. 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 People like, like maybe, um, (laughs) maybe people are into some of the same stuff that I'm into. Mm Um, and, uh, and or maybe I've done an okay job of taking finding little stuff that I like in other games and kind of like um, finding a way to present that to people that wouldn't be able to access that fun feeling in, in these more complicated games, but they can get it here because we've really boiled it down. Like Gravity Hook was just mouse clicks. Uh, I didn't have any arrow controls or anything like that. It was just like click on the thing you want to hang from. That's the only controls. Um, and. Uh, Yeah. And people were like, actually into it. They were like, Oh, this is cool. It's, you know, uh, after about an hour, you run out of stuff to do, (laughs) you know, or or half an hour or something like that. But, um, it was, it was, it was pretty fun. I got like sweaty palms during part of it. And Mm -hmm. it was like, Whoa, Mm -hmm. you can, huh? Okay. Uh, interesting. You can do this. Okay. And then I uh, had to get back to freelance work. Right. Uh, you know, probably like six months later, um, made a weird little kind of art game called Fathom. Um, and Fathom was partly a test of like, okay, we uh, we had, Gravity Hook was running not on a Flash game engine yet, but there were some shared things between a couple of other basically unreleased prototypes and Gravity Hook, all were using some of the same files. Uh, and I wanted to push that a little bit farther and see how far we could take it uh, and so Fathom actually had some like levels had these big like tile map levels and you could kind of um, swim around them or run around them with like uh kind of NES style controls it's like D pad and jump and shoot something like that. Let's see if that was like, you know, next, next little step up. It's not, it's still a very small game. It has like one and a half levels or something. It's the tiniest game you can make uh, just about. Um, but it was like, let's do some artwork. And also maybe this is going to be a little bit of a, game with a twist kind of kind of make it look like it's kind of like a mega man cave story thing. And you're going to find out partway through that that's not really what it is. Yeah. And, um, got to collaborate with Danny again, who wrote this really cool, really music that like really, really leaned into this and emphasized this, like just really awesome battle music. Yeah. And a boss music. And then this like really weird music after the game kind of takes a left turn. And then, um, not as many people played that, but there was a lot of people talked about it mm-hmm. um and for years, I would get like one email every six months or something where somebody's like, "I just played your game fathom and it's just really overwhelming and I'm still thinking about it, and it was like, "Whoa, you can do this with games. It's not just like there's this other thing you can do, okay, you can make mm-hmm. games that like give people sweaty palms, that's cool, but you can also make games that kind of um uh." surprise people maybe in a way that they didn't think that um you know they can have they can have feelings about a game that maybe they didn't think that they were going to have about a game um this is back in like 2007 2008 where you know we didn't have i guess the kind of um the the broader palette of like mainstream games that are like emotionally functional or whatever uh we didn't have you know gone homes or um Freeze or anything like that yet mm-hmm. um and about six months later is when we made Cannonball um so it was kind of like building up off of these things building up off of these games where it was like okay I think people are into what I'm into that is cool that shouldn't be surprising I'm a, like 36 year old white dude who grew up playing video games. It turns out there's a big audience of people who like all the same things I like. And that's a problem for us now. Uh, cause it makes it pretty hard for me to make games that stand out. Yeah. But at the time it was just like, Whoa, okay. There's an audience for this stuff. That's cool. I can make things that I like and they're not going to just, you know, be ignored hopefully. Um, and yeah, Cannonball was very much like this same, you know, mobile phone pixel art background and um, you know, uh more modern, kind of challenge-based, procedurally generated type stuff. Um, Captain Forever was a game that was super influential on Cannibal, um, it had this sort of attitude about um kind of exploration and self-direction um that uh was just a huge factor in deciding exactly how is cannibal going to function. Really uh, having like an intense interest in like reactive generation, as opposed to like, just not wanting to have a level editor kind of level Mm -hmm. generation, Mm -hmm. Um, wanting the game to sort of react to the player's input and kind of like keep people in a flow state. Like these are all things are just like in the, the zeitgeist of game design at the time. Um, Mm -hmm. And this is all weird though, because like around around the time we made gravity hookers about a year before I made cannonball, uh, we scored a really good freelance, um, gig that, um, had, uh, was really in our wheelhouse and was a good client and was great. The kind of pay that lets you take more than a week off every three months to right. work on your own stuff. Uh, and at the same time, we had ended up accidentally collaborating on a boggle clone for iPhone back when there was uh, only one iPhone and it ended up organically iPhone. accidentally being the top <laughs> 10 iPhone game. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, uh, it was, um, I can't imagine like being luckier or being in a better position to goof around and make something, you know, like um, there's all this tech that just happened to be exactly the things I was interested in at the time. Mm -hmm. And we had a lot more financial flexibility than we normally had. uh, And all that stuff just kind of piled up after a while. Um, But in between, like part of the reason that there's this huge gap, between making Gravity Hook and then making Fathom and then making Cannonball, there's these like six month gaps is because we were doing freelance work during those times, but also building and then canceling a whole original iPhone game two actually wow there's was, was a zombie machine gun game and it was like a more like a super off-road kind of a thing yeah. i like wrote a whole like 3d racing engine in OpenGL and did the iphone controls and we we're just like this sucks i don't want to make it anymore <laughs> uh and well, uh yeah adam i actually uh
2: myself am a game designer and hmm. i've designed this really cool virtual reality game that i'd like to have you play test for me okay you ready all right i'm ready All right. So close your eyes. I'm going to send you the build. Just close your eyes. Okay. Okay. I'm sending you the chair. Do you feel the chair underneath you right now? I do. Oh, perfect. All right. We're working. Do you feel the desk in front of you? Yes. Okay. All right, cool. You got the whole build. So imagine (laughs) (laughs) that you're going to be asked five rapid fire questions and then you need to provide five rapid fire answers for this game to work. Are you ready to play the fast five?
1: All right, all right, all right. Yeah, this is like a, like a trivia VR game. I'm into this. Yeah, okay. Exactly, exactly.
2: But I, I built your surroundings, and I, I sent them to you. Question number one, coffee or tea? Coffee. Question number two, have you played more video games or board
1: games? <sighs> uh, Video games, probably. Probably, yeah.
2: Let's say video games. Question number three, if you could own one vehicle from any video game or movie, which vehicle?
1: Oh uh it's probably something from fury road mm, okay. just
2: pick one okay. <laughs> question number four uh if you had to give up no i changed my pro- answer it's speed racer okay, okay. mach Five. Oh, the mach five all right all right all right that's a good one question number four if you had to give up either programming or designing forever which one would it be
1: oh programming i already gave it up <laughs> Get it out, he's done yeah all right
2: and uh the next question comes to you from cecil kim he is the guest from last week's episode and he asks what is your favorite
1: politically incorrect game politically incorrect game whoa are there any uh you know what actually i would go with it's probably going to be a Shinji Mikami game. It's probably going to be like a God Hand, maybe. Something like that. Mm-hmm. Uh Just something... I feel like anything that's really murder-heavy uh, is probably technically politically incorrect, but <laughs> sometimes, like... I don't know, man. It scratches the itch. <laughs> uh, yeah, let's, well, let's go with... You know what? God, like, for sure, God Hand. The sense of humor in that game is not okay and i love it uh so yeah all right i'm gonna need you to take off your vr glasses and come back to real
2: life Um, how was that it's we're testing that out but it's pretty realistic right
1: uh yeah yeah it was i i was convinced like even the um the absolute, all the off camera wreckage of my studio was like perfectly recreated. And people don't always appreciate that
2: attention to detail, but I do. Yeah, man, that's, that's something that we do. Um, I have to say you had a really good time. You had a really good time. So I'm going to give right. you your first reward, which is much like Cecil Kim, you get to ask our next week's guest one video game related or game development question.
1: Ooh. Uh, I, I I would ask, what game do you wish you had designed?
2: All right, perfect. There we go. You've successfully smashed the Fast Five. It was a great yes. job. Yes, great
1: job. achievement unlocked. Now
2: speaking
1: I have external validation.
0: <laughs> well, speaking of successfully smashing and uh, (laughs) external validation. Cannibal went really well. So how was that reception, you know, inside the studio and and whatever?
1: Uh, It was really cool. I mean, it gave us um, a thing that, you know, we gradually, we learned to become concerned about as independent studios, this idea of like, um, there's lots of different words for it, but sort of like, um, I guess we usually call it runway, uh, the idea of like how much time, do we have left to keep making our own weird stuff before we either have to get freelance work or Mm -hmm. go, you know, get a gig at Subway or like, you know, what's, what's the next step. Mm -hmm. Um, and, uh, you know, cannibal on mobile produced like a good amount of runaway for us again, um, similar to the previous iPhone game we had done. So that was pretty encouraging. Um, uh, it ended up squandering uh, all of it basically, but that's a different story. Um, and a, and a lesson well learned. Uh, but uh, it actually wasn't a huge. I think most people think, not, I don't know about most people haven't heard of Cannibal, first of all. Um, and uh, a lot of people have heard of the th- games that Cannibal heavily influenced your temple runs and jetpack joyrides and stuff like that, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but Cannibal itself is not a particularly. Um, well-known game at least relative to i think what people in like game design community probably uh might guess uh and actually the mobile sales were not um at the level that i think most people probably think that they were Mm -hmm. um like over time it did uh you know it added up and it became especially for the amount of development time that went into it if you ignore all the years of like you know developing the skills or background to be able to produce it or whatever um, the amount of development time was very short. you know it was like mm-hmm. a seven day game and a two or three week port and um, we did a lot of support post launch or whatever, but it's still a pretty small project, and the amount of revenue it produced was very good. but I think a lot of people uh, we've definitely run into situations where people are like, "Well you know how many sports cars did you get with that cannonball money and i'm like <laughs> actually, not a lot uh, <laughs> less less than one we got yeah. less than
2: one for sure like my kids get toys and... <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
1: we did I think I think we did get uh we did get a uh a Honda fit oh, we went awesome. ahead, we splurged a little oh, uh, yeah uh we got a Honda fit and then we st- which we still drive uh <laughs> like twelve years later or something um and we felt like that was that was uh that was pretty cool. And mostly it, it, you know, we felt like, Oh, this gave us, um, you know, we have the opportunity to do more experimental game development. We had the opportunity to try some new things, which again, we squandered, but that's okay. Uh, because the big thing that came out of it was within, uh, game development community, uh, cannonball just opened a lot of doors Mm -hmm. for us. You know, I think, uh, it is, um, uh, it's a little weird now because I think a lot of a lot of our recent business has been very um, concentrated around Night in the Woods to a point where uh, we start um, we because we've been hiring people and collaborating with new people and um, there's a lot of you know mutual excitement we love their work and they like Night in the Woods or they're excited about Overland or something and then we'll be working together for a few months and they'll be like you made Cannonball what uh, so it's like it's become this whole separate. It's like from a previous life or something now, but, um, that kind of reaction made a huge difference for the last, like, I guess it's like eight or 10 years now, um, Mm -hmm. eight years, something like that. Uh, just a huge difference in, you know, wanting to meet new people, wanting to pick somebody's brain, wanting to, you know, have even a chance to talk to so-and-so at this or that digital marketplace, wanting to, you know, um, wanting to have any sort of self-determination or control at all. uh, I think uh, I'm actually, I'm pretty, I'm pretty sad that we don't get to, it's really hard to do this now. I think web-based games are not nearly what they were. And I think most of this, um, you know, a hundred times as many people played the web based version of the game as bought it on a phone mm-hmm. or some uh, yeah, it was around I think we were around ten million players online probably Jeez. and more on like three hundred thousand players on the phone right uh and that's um I think most of the cred comes from that i think I, I assume most people know the game and understood the game and saw its potential and everything from, uh, just seeing it in a web browser for like a minute. Mm -hmm. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I think it was that and not, you know, the fact that like it did fine, it did okay on mobile. Mm -hmm. Like I don't think making a game that does okay on mobile really opens tons of doors for you as a business or whatever, but I think people seeing this design and just liking the design for what it was liking, um, similar. I feel like a lot of the reaction to, um, JW and Kitty's new game minute. Mm -hmm. Um, I've been seeing a lot of reactions to that, that I, um, that make me really happy because they remind me of the reactions to cannibal that I liked, which was people would play it and go, what the heck you could have made this on a Nintendo (laughs) <laughs> you could have made this on a game boy no this doesn't even have technology in it it's just like a bunch of squares and it's so fun what's going on uh and i love that reaction yeah, people, for people. Forget. <laughs> yeah like you don't need all that you don't always need all the fancy stuff sometimes you just need to there's still um there's still mileage to get out of all the old simple parts kind of mm-hmm. and um Uh, I think that was the thing that let us like make connections with people. Um, people just plain liked the design and the execution. They uh, saw what was clever about it and they appreciated it. And that was, uh, that was career changing. That was Mm -hmm. just like, um, Uh, it was also that was the first game that um, we also shipped a public version of the flash game engine that it runs on at the same time. Mm -hmm. And like thousands of games were made in that a bunch of weird award-winning art games. And it was uh, kind of a, um, a big part of a lot of game development programs Um, is something you could turn over to students and they could start making games really quickly in it and they could share them online and kind of have these same experiences, have people go out and find these games and play them and engage with them and like uh, appreciate them, even if it wasn't necessarily producing revenue right this second. Um, Or maybe it was because you could put it on a flash game portal because that was was relevant. Yeah, I think, to us in retrospect, that was the cool thing was like um, stumbling upon this design that we were excited about and being able to share it really easily with an unlimited number of people and have, but them also um, appreciate most of the same things about it. Like to be excited about the fact that we found something new in these old parts uh, and like, I feel like that's the, that's the cool mileage. That's the cool experience. Like that was the career changing part of it. Like, uh, getting some mobile revenue, that's never bad. Um, but, uh, like I can say for a fact that, um, you know, for I, I didn't do anything interesting as a game designer for a year after that, cause I learned all the wrong lessons from the game. Uh, and so like that runway, um, we didn't do anything interesting with the runway, but the connections and the, I don't know if you want to call it like reputation or stature or whatever, like, um, just from people's exposure to the game, that was, um, that was career changing that, that was like the, that was this push on a snowball that I feel like is still like still rolling downhill and still getting bigger. And, you know, Cannonball was very explicitly and specifically the thing that, Made that start happening. Um, My last question for
2: you, sir, is going to be this: If they're, you're you spending so much time kind of doing development on your own terms, right? There's ups, there's downs, but you have to overcome them to stay in business, right? Mm-hmm. I'm assuming there's probably a lot of people who may be on the edge of wanting to do like their own indie thing and follow that dream, or people who are just like scaring themselves out of leaving their opportunities because they're like, this is safe, and I you know, I have this, I can depend on this, but they hate that situation, right?
1: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
2: And say to the people who are like afraid to let go or are afraid to try, you know, I, let me ask it that way. Just talk to the people who are afraid to try. Like, is there anything that you can say to them to kind of like boost them up a little bit or put some wind in their sails?
1: Uh, Yeah, I think the, you know, the, uh, here's what, I, here, what I'm not going to say is, you can definitely do it. It's all going to be fine. Quit your job right now and just follow your dream. You know, like I want to be able to say that. And I think that that like eventually doing that actually is important. Like we're not here for that long in the big scheme of things. And, uh, I think, um, I think there are a lot more people who have a lot more interesting things to say than, um, than we think. And I think those new voices are pretty important for this industry to ever grow up ever. Uh, and I think you've been seeing that all th- that change begin to happen. And it's like the thing that makes me the most excited about games right now. But, um, you know, my path into this stuff was very, very cautious. Um, we, you know, we took risks, but they were usually calculated, Uh, we, you know, followed our dreams and made the kinds of games that we wanted to make on nights and weekends for a long time. Um, you know, we, uh, when we did think up something cool and big, you know, uh, Beck and I would crunch the numbers and say, like, we want to, we want to do this project that's going to take a month. Mm -hmm. Uh, and it's weird. And it's probably gonna make zero dollars. So, are we both comfortable with the fact that we're gonna blow a month of living expenses on a game that maybe nobody's gonna buy? Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's okay to say yes to that sometimes. Is it like, but I think it's also pretty positive and pretty healthy and pretty good to. Have the conversation on those terms and not always have the conversation in terms of like, this is the next Clash Royale. This is the next (laughs) PUBG. This is the next whatever. And I'm going to follow my dream and it's definitely going to work. And because these stories are stories like that, I think, are... These are very visible stories when they do happen. Somebody, so and so, I mortgaged my house and we slaved away for three years and we were on the brink of losing everything. And then somebody swooped in and saved the day and funded our game. And it's like, oh my God, don't don't do that. (laughs) Don't tell people that happened. That's not a good story. That's like uh I was the captain of a boat and I steered toward the iceberg, uh, smashed into it half the people on the boat died, but I'm okay. Like, don't, you can't, you can't do, it's not a thing to be proud of. Like, um, you know, there's the the captain of the Titanic doesn't have a lot of statues made for him standing around for a reason. Right. Like, uh, take the long way around, go around the icebergs. Like, uh, it's gonna be okay like uh and like the the backup to this is i think that like you know this stuff takes a while like Cannibalt was a real that was a, a a real high water mark for us for a long time and i think it happened early i think it was it was not everybody stumbles onto Um, that kind of design that wants to be like, I think if I didn't make cannibal, somebody else would have made something like it within a few months, probably it was just like all the spare, all the parts that you make that car from are just laying around. We got to them first basically. Uh, and, uh, and we did it by happening to, uh, have a lot of experience with a lot of the technology that, um, you can make a game like that from, um, just from weird freelance work that we'd been doing on the side or whatever, like that was a very lucky thing. And I don't think we were capable of producing our own internal, like internal sustainable work for six or eight years. You know, Cannibal was—we were th- only three or four years in. Whoa, we had a big hit. Great. And it's three or four years past that, before I, Beck and I, start to feel like, uh, I think we. We don't know. I'm not going to go so far as to say we know what we're doing, <laughs> but we're screwing up less. We are making the right calls a little more often than we used to. That's a long road. Mm-hmm. That's a long time. So I think the like there's two things here for me. Like one is if you want to do this stuff, I think you have to start like right away.
0: Right.
1: Um, you don't you don't quit your job right away. You don't drop everything right away. Maybe, but I think if you want to go after this, if you don't start right now. I mean, there's this is like, you know, um, you know, when you when you decide, like, let's have a baby, you got to sit around for a year before the baby actually shows up. And mm-hmm. for us like this, like, let's have a company uh, or let's have a little game studio where we actually get to do uh, the things that I have kind of dreamed of being able to do since I was a kid. Mm-hmm. Um, that was that's like a 10 year Pregnancy for this studio. It took us like a decade <laughs> to get this thing really up and running the way we wanted. And maybe we're a lot more bad at it than other people, or maybe we didn't have quite the same uh access or experience as other people. Um, and maybe there's maybe there's some shortcuts in there where you can do more with less or something. But you know, if uh if it's going to take five or 10 years to get something going in the way that you want, yeah, you got to start, you got to start doing it right away. And you got to think about how you can keep doing it for five or 10 years. Mm -hmm. Um, and i guess every time i like i gotta find a more like upbeat way to talk about this because i think these are actually good things like i i don't view these as downers like Mm -hmm. i don't view this as like you've got to go toil away for five to ten years before you have to do ten thousand hours of flash games before you are a real game designer and you know make don't quit your day job and like just sound like a really boring dad whenever I we like drop this stuff. But for us it's way more just like, um, you know, if you if you love this stuff enough that you want to um if this stuff is so important, if you have to do this stuff, if it's easier to do this stuff than to not do it, you know, then you have to find a way to I think if you're if you want to be happy you have to find a way to um, build something that can support you while you do this stuff. And I just think, um, I think it's okay that that takes a few years. It'd be cool if it didn't, Mm -hmm. but right now it does. And there's a lot of stuff to learn. You know, it's the same, like I want a college degree right now. Mm -hmm. That's nice. (laughs) Maybe you can get one. Maybe you can get an honorary degree from somewhere if you're a certain type of person, but like, Um, the rest of us just like have to go to class for three or four years. Right. Um, and you know, and if you want that, if you want that college degree and you know, you got to go to class for three or four years, you better start doing night classes or something like Mm -hmm. soon or else it's just going to keep getting pushed farther out. Right. Um, so that'd be my advice is like, dig in, but you know, um, uh, keep in mind that I think for most of us, it's a, it's a long haul and, Mm -hmm that's all right, but it's, it's definitely better if, uh, if you're ready for it. Um, Well, I can tell you one thing I'm ready
2: to do. Mr. Adam Salzman, you have been podcasting with us for over an hour, sir. So congratulations. And thank you so much for being a part of this. You really dropped a lot of knowledge and uh, insight for a lot of people who are going to be in your shoes in the next couple of years, let's just say. And for your charity and generosity brandon and i are going to step away from the microphone for a minute or two and let you talk directly to our audience to shout out to broadcast promote or raise awareness for something near and dear to your heart so without further ado sir the floor is yours
1: oh wow okay uh i don't know if i have a lot i guess i would say um you know if uh if anybody hasn't for some reason hasn't played night in the woods um i would uh It's, you know, pretty, I think it's a pretty special game and it goes to some pretty special places and it's currently available on pretty much everything. Uh, I would say if you can play it on a switch, that's a pretty nice place to play that game. Uh, and it's available there right now, Uh, but it's on everything else too, uh, I think um, the game that I am closest to is um, a new turn-based survival game called Overland, Uh, and you can find more about that at overland-game.com. We're running kind of a little first access program where you can play the game in a sort of an unfinished state um, just to – uh, kind of, you know, see what's going on with it, and you can follow our progress. There's a Twitter account called Overland Game, no spaces or anything, and you can kind of see uh, see uh, all the new things that we're learning uh, <laughs> as we try to uh, make a whole massive 3D strategy game with randomly generated levels uh, with just a few of us steering the ship. Um, and uh, you can also keep an eye out for... Uh, our uh, our next publishing project, which is Tunic, um, which is uh, there's going to be some have some announcements about that this summer that I think people will be pretty excited about. Um, and otherwise, uh, our uh, our little our little studio, our developer and sometimes publisher, uh, is called Finji, uh, and our website is at finji.co. co. Uh, so if you want to see other games that we've worked on in the past, if you want to check out. Um, you know, we've got some cool stuff that we worked on before Night in the Woods, like panoramical, which is this just absolutely wild audio visual synthesizer toy thing by Fernando Ramajo and David Kanaga. Uh, we have this like really sweaty palms, intense, wonderful, um, platformer uh, that we published called Feist, um, uh, which won a couple dozen awards or something. Um, got a bunch of stuff on there, but yeah, finji.co, And that's kind of the hub for everything. You'll be able to find everything from there. Um, so yeah, if any of this, if any of this sounded interesting or made any sense, and you want to see the, some of the games that come out of this, um, this background or this process, they're all on the website there. And I think they're, um, been really proud to be involved with all those games, they're all just really near and dear to our hearts. Awesome! Um,
2: <laughs> I can so, say with uh 100% certainty that I've been to your site. I'm Larry Charles, and I'm saying good night.
0: <laughs> hey guys, well, I, I want to comment one last thing. <laughs> Which is uh, congratulations. I mean, he's been staring at me the whole time, but on your BAFTA
1: <laughs> award. O- ostentatious the recent- golden go. face back here. Exactly. Yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's going to be on its way to Pittsburgh shortly uh, to mm-hmm. stay with uh, Scott and Bethany, who are the um, narrative designers and writers uh, and researchers on Night in the Woods. But for now, he's just creeping in the office. <laughs> That's awesome. It's all good i put my put my fan gamer AGVQ hat on him just for cred.
0: Yeah, that's amazing, yeah, dude.
1: Not, not, a, not a great look. <laughs> well, I
0: know it's gonna be it's the first of many, so uh, I'm I'm looking forward to more more news from you guys. So this is Brandon Fam. I'll see you guys next week. <laughs>
1: Am I supposed to say a thing? <laughs> yeah, that oh. was it. <laughs> All right. Thanks for having me. And, uh, that's the end of the show.
2: If you enjoyed this podcast and you want to stay in touch or continue to follow our developments, then you need to go to facebook.com forward slash game dev unchained and drop a like and stay in touch. You can also get the direct feed for this podcast on soundcloud.com forward slash game dev unchained.